I guess that'll do till the singers can get here. <laughs> How's everybody, man? You guys already worn out? No, we're just getting started. Hey, bro, what up? Hey, you Thank you. Let's let's get that Presbyterian thing going on over here. We we'll preach from the side, you know. Sure. We have gathered here tonight. Okay, so we're still good on the screen there. Why don't you just throw up the title slide, bro, and let me figure out where I can stand. This is, this is going to work. Okay, perfect, man. I, I like it. Thank you, Brother Sam. Good to see you. Sam is my brother. I, I was supposed to be in Malawi with him, uh, what was that, 10 days or so ago, and uh, I didn't make it, and, uh, but man, I'm so glad I was able to make this. This is, uh, this is one of the highlights of my year. You guys hear me all the way in the back? Uh, okay, you, you know what you just did there? Okay, when it gets good tonight, y'all do that. Okay, let, let, let pretend it just got good. Okay, I, I worry about you being so far back. Um, all right, you, you got notes, uh, and if that, that's helpful to you, then do that, and if you're not a note guy or girl, hey, don't do that, <laughs> okay? <laughs> it, it, it's all good, but uh, let, let, me, let me talk to you for just a second as, as we're getting started, and uh, to all the churches of the Living Faith Fellowship, let me just thank you for the privilege of being able to do this, uh, for real. This is a, uh, a spiritual highlight in my my year and uh, I, I hope for all of you that took time away from your jobs and it, the normal schedule I, man I, I hope that this will be a, a spiritual highlight for your year uh, and this year I, I've, I've chosen to move into a passage and we're just gonna work our way through this passage Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 17 and let me tell you why I did this, okay? Uh, most of you w would know that, you know, years ago I, I was in New Philadelphia, Ohio, uh, Kansas City Baptist Temple back in 1992, brought a team of 50 people to our church, and we got plugged into discipleship and uh, expository preaching and how to study the Bible, and I'm telling you, man, I was just a, a young dude at that point. I got over that, as you can see. But uh, just a young man that just, oh my goodness, y'all, just got so turned on, so excited about God and his work and his book and all of that. And right after that time, I mean, where, I mean, you know, those, those glory days, you know, when it's all fresh and it's all new and you're so excited about God and his book. Well, I found myself preaching through the book of Colossians. And uh, wow, what, what God did in my life through that book has stuck with me for a while. Um, in, in fact, we, we were working through Colossians chapter 1 and 2, 
and my wife and I went on a trip to India. Uh, and uh, wow, we were just so rocked by w what we saw and the, the believers there. So much of what we were seeing was that, that first century brand of Christianity. You know what I'm talking about? And so, you know, I didn't even see it coming. But I'm working through chapter 2, you know, before I left, and we're going to come to chapter 3 when I got back after experiencing first century Christianity in India. And I was faced with this passage to preach that passage, having just a, a little period of time where I was able to detach from that American brand of Christianity. And these 17 verses in Colossians chapter 3 were just so significant. In fact, I, I spent 16 weeks in verses 1 and 2 of Colossians 3. By the time we got through verse 17, we had spent 30 weeks. It was that powerful. Okay, so what I'm going to do is take 30 weeks and put it into three messages. How about that? Is that not the epitome of Laodicea right there? I mean, we, but it, really, it was, it was that impactful. I, I don't, this is kind of old school, trite, maybe, but I believe it. There's an old adage that, that goes like this, that a, a message from the mind changes minds. A message from the heart changes hearts. And a message from the life changes lives. I, I don't know exactly why you're here at this retreat, but man, I hope you're here wanting God to change your life in the next several days. Is that why you're here, y'all? Yes. Man, I, for real, I, I hope that it is. I hope that you'll open your heart to what God has for us. And, and I realize we've you know, done a lot of things. We've prayed and all of that. I, I want to just ask all of us just one more time before we dive in. Let's just pray together. And let's ask that the Spirit of God might have his way. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what, y'all? There's liberty. And man, I, I, I'm, I'm just praying that the Spirit of God isn't going to wait till Friday night or Saturday morning, but that the Spirit of God will begin to do some stuff inside of us that will cause us in the next several days to get rocked and to go home different people. So let's bow our heads, and I'm going to pray, but before I do, would you just pray? I, again, I know, man, you've been going hard to get here and, and all of that, but you're here now. And, and so would you just chill your heart for just a second and ask God, God, if you don't speak to anybody else in this room, speak to me tonight.
Lord, I want to thank you for the privilege that we have tonight to have your book in our language. And you know one of the rallying points that has drawn this group of people together is that we believe we have every word of God and that it is pure and it is preserved for us. And so, Lord, I pray that you take that belief and I pray that you might just maximize it in our midst tonight and pray that the Spirit of God that lives in us will take the Word of God and let it penetrate our hearts, our lives, our minds, every part of our being. And Lord, I, I do recognize that there's people that are here tonight that if the rapture were to take place tonight would be left in this room. They don't know you. Lord, thank you that they're here. And I do pray especially for them that you might open the eyes of their understanding to see who you are and what you want to do in their life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so in your notes, we're going to start with what I put there as the introduction. And there's going to be quite a, quite a bit here. And I want to say this, that you know, if you're thinking, oh, well, this is just the introduction and I can kind of flake out right now. You know, he's not really into the good stuff yet. Well, mm, please don't think that. Because if we're ever really going to understand the good stuff, we're going to have to understand uh, just what is taking place in the book of Colossians. Okay, I, I think, you know, most of us are aware of the, of the fact that Jesus, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, wrote seven letters to seven churches. And it took me a little while to get there, but I, I began to think about the fact, oh, wow, how cool is that? that Jesus wrote seven letters to seven churches, and the apostle Paul did the same thing. He, he wrote seven letters to seven churches, the church, the church at Rome, the church at Corinth, and the churches of Galatia, and Ephesus, Philippi, Colossians, and Thessalonica, seven of those. And, and you wake up one day and you go, hey, you know, since they both wrote seven letters to seven churches, I wonder if there's any correlation of those seven letters to each other. And so you begin to think about that thing. And we go to the book of Revelation, and we look at those seven letters that Jesus wrote to the seven churches, and we would understand that the seventh letter that he wrote was to the church of, say it, y'all. The church of, of Laodicea. Okay. So you just begin to think about that thing, and you begin to cross-reference this thing, and what you find out is that the word Laodicea, other than in the book of Revelation, is found five other times. And the interesting thing about those five other times that you find it is that they're all in the same book. They're all in the same book. They're all in the book of Colossians. And so you begin to look at that thing and go, hmm, 
this correlation. Okay, so Jesus writes to Laodicea, and he talks five different times in the book of Colossians about Laodicea. But, but it begins to get even more interesting when we recognize that these seven letters that Jesus wrote to those seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, they're actually representative of seven periods of church history. And again, for those of you that are new to the Bible, I know that, that probably sounds crazy to you. This is, by and large, a group of people that, that would understand that. And the seventh and final letter representing the seventh period of church history just prior to our Lord's coming is, of course, Laodicea, a period of time representing 1901 all the way to the rapture. And how many of you hope that's tonight? <laughs> Amen. Okay, but we are living right now in Laodicea. Okay, and so you begin to look at that thing and you say, okay, so... There's a correlation between the letter that Jesus wrote to Laodicea and the book of Colossians, and that letter to the La Laodicea is representative of that final period of church history. And, and all of that to say, there is a special application of the book of Colossians to the Laodicean church period. Are you, are you connecting with what I'm talking about right now? Okay, now, 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 now follow this in, in, in your thinking. Okay, the, the book of Colossians has obviously, it, it's obviously been for people in every period of church history, all, all seven of those periods. But what I'm suggesting to you tonight is that there is a special application of the book of Colossians to those of us that are living in the Laodicean church period. The church that is going to be raptured off of this planet. Again, I, the book of Colossians has applied to every believer all through the, the, the periods, but there's something special about what he has to say to us through the book of Colossians in, uh, for the Laodicean church period. And we get this from when we begin to look at the content of the book of Colossians and how it's actually laid out. And this one is laid out just like all of Paul's writings. He always talks about the doctrinal things at the first part of the book. And then there's always this great move where he moves on to the practical part. And the doctrinal section is in chapters 1 and 2. The practical part is when he gets to chapters 3 and 4. Now, what's interesting is in this doctrinal section, in Colossians chapter 1 and 2, do you realize what is he's actually covering there? Doctrinally, he is addressing every false teaching that we have dealt with in the Laodicean church period. He answers most specifically the Jehovah's false witnesses, the latter-day ain'ts, and the charismaniacs. And if you're from a charismatic background, you're here, or any of those backgrounds, hey, welcome. Glad you're here. 
But he does address that in the doctrinal section. We can go there, and again, that special application to those of us living in the Laodicean church period from a doctrinal standpoint, he nails it. And listen, when he gets to the, the practical section, wow, <laughs> does he nail it in Laodicea? Because do you know what the, the practical section actually deals with? It deals with what every pastor in this room knows that if you're going to pastor in Laodicea, you're going to deal with people when it comes to relationships. People, and this is what he covers in chapters 3 and 4. He begins in chapter 3 talking about our relationship with God in verses 1 through 17. There you go. And then he begins to talk about the relationships that we have in our family in verses 18 to 21. Then he begins to talk about the relationships that we have with people at work in, in chapter 3, verse 22, through chapter 4 and verse 1. Then he begins to talk about the relationships that we have with the lost world and then in chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And then he talks about the relationships that we have in the church. Okay, now, now here, here's the thing that I want to make sure that you see. This is everything that we struggle with from a practical standpoint in the Laodicean church period. And, and listen, the reason that we do is because first and foremost, we struggle in our relationship with God. And because we struggle in our relationship with God, we struggle at work, we struggle with our family, we struggle with the lost world. Do you understand most believers will go their entire life and never win a lost person to Christ? And we struggle with relationships in the church. And listen, y'all, that's why... I have chosen this year to talk about, it from Colossians 3, 1 through 17, our relationship with God. And it is just such an unbelievable thing, y'all. When, when what God does in this passage, in, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, if you haven't turned there in your Bible, you can certainly do so. But what he does in this passage is God takes the whole Christian life and virtually all of the New Testament teaching about the life that God has called us to live, listen, and he takes all of that and he boils it down into 17 verses. Is that crazy? Listen, I'm convinced that if they confiscated our Bibles took it away, but we could just rip out one page before they took it. And we all ripped out this little section that has Colossians 3, 1 through 17, and we said, okay, we don't have any of the rest of the Bible. We just have this. I am absolutely convinced that if we would live in Colossians 3, 1 through 17... We really, we would do incredible 
in this life, and I do think that we would all fare very sumptuously at the judgment seat of Christ if we just had Colossians 3, 1 through 17. And in the evening sessions, that's, that's what we're going to be talking about. Okay, you'll notice at the beginning in your notes that, that what I've talked about as the subtitle is how to, listen to this now and get your head wrapped around it, how to walk on earth like someone seated in heaven. You hear that? Our life is called our walk, okay? And what we're going to be talking about is how we actually walk down here on the earth in the full reality of where we are seated with Christ tonight. And you'll understand this better as we spend just a second setting the context. Okay, now, when we set this context here, what I'm about to show you here is going to be the foundation that we're going to be building on for the next three nights, or the rest of tonight and the, the next two. And, and so listen, man, I, I want to ask you right now to rein it in and really try to get your head wrapped around what he's talking about in Colossians 3, 1 through 17. But we've got to set the context. And, and Paul sets the context for us. He makes that transition from the doctrinal to the practical when we get to chapter 3 and verse 1. And what he says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, and I want you to just notice the first seven words. Okay, This is what sets the context for us. He says, If ye then... Be risen with Christ. Okay. Now, had we been studying the book of Colossians together and had we already come through what Paul was laying down in chapters 1 and 2, we would all, when we came to that little phrase, we would all understand exactly what he was talking about. But obviously, we haven't been studying this book together. And so... I want to just set that context for you and show you what he's talking about when he's talking about us being risen with Christ. And it, what this does is it takes us back to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12. And, and, and what he was actually teaching back in chapter 2 and verse 12, he says this, that we were buried with him in baptism. Okay, do we bury things that are alive, y'all? Burial assumes something. What does it assume? It assumes death. Okay, and so he's assuming this, this death. But he says that we have been buried with him in baptism, wherein also, here it comes now, ye are risen with him. Now, when we get to Colossians 3 1, he says, If you then be risen, and what he's doing is he's taking us back to chapter 2 and verse 12, and he says that we've been buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Okay, 
Man, if I could get in your head and just make sure that you understand that verse, man, I would do that right now. Again, what I, we're going to be building on this the rest of tonight and the next two nights. So, man, open your mind and open your heart and let's see if we can understand what, what he's talking about here. Because what Paul is talking about here is that time that Paul talked about in Romans chapter 10, verses 10 through 13, because I'm quite sure that when someone was leading you to Christ, this is where they brought you, (laughs) okay? Because what he's doing is he's taking us back to that time where we were calling upon the name of the Lord to save us. Now, at that time, okay, go, go back in your mind to that time when you were calling on the name of the Lord to save you. Listen, there were none of us at that time that had the spiritual software to comprehend all of the spiritual realities that were actually taking place in us at that very moment. And and what Paul is doing in passages like Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12 is he is taking us and he is building in that spiritual software so we can comprehend exactly what it was that took place when we were calling upon the name of the Lord, to save us. And what he says to us, what he tells us in this passage is, listen now, the moment that we were calling upon the name of the Lord, the Spirit of God was actually baptizing us or immersing us spiritually into Christ. You hearing that? That's what was happening to us. Yeah, man, we were, wherever we were, and we were calling on the name of the Lord to save us, and we didn't get it that at that moment, something crazy spiritual was happening because the Spirit of God was taking us and immersing us into Christ. This is what he was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, where he says, For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. This is the, the, the spiritual baptism, not water baptism. This is the the spiritual reality of what was taking place when we were calling on the name of the Lord. It's the spiritual baptism that he talks about in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, when he said, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized, listen, into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death, Same exact thing he's saying in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, right? We were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. And oh my, y'all, 
This is just an absolutely incredible passage and an incredible teaching because what he is teaching is that those of us tonight that have been born again, we called upon the name of the Lord by faith to save us. What he's teaching us is that we are now in Christ. And it is one of the most mind-boggling, far-reaching, and life-changing concepts in all of the world. But listen, to comprehend it, you got to get your mind wrapped around the fact that we're saved tonight because the Spirit of God baptized us spiritually into Christ. And the way it shakes out biblically, as we all understand, the gospel is defined for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. And it's defined, obviously, as the death, say it with me, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, and we get that. That's the definition of the gospel. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 says that that, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation. But, but realize this, that the actual power of the death, burial, and resurrection that he was just talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, that that power isn't unleashed until it gets connected with faith, Right? That's why Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved, say it, through faith. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, he says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, you heard the proclamation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the gospel of your salvation, listen, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance or the down payment, if you will, until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. And listen, what Paul's trying to get us to see is that, go back in your mind to when you got saved. When you heard the proclamation of the gospel, what happened is by faith, you believed it. And that faith was manifested because we called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save us. And when we called on that name, bam, the Spirit of God did what he was talking about here. And he took us and placed us into Christ. He baptized us at that moment into Christ. He, he, we, we were placed in him we were immersed in him okay now, now listen colossians chapter 2 and verse 12 what he's telling us here is that what actually took place in us spiritually is as the spirit of god 
placed us into Christ's death, we died, y'all. We died in Him. And then the Spirit of Christ took us spiritually and He placed us into His burial. And we're buried with Him. And then, praise the Lord, He placed us into His resurrection. And we were risen with Him. Listen. That's what Paul's talking about in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12. The unbelievable reality, and man, please, if I bored you to tears to this point, would you just make sure you grab this? What Paul is talking about in this verse, oh, listen, is that the power that God put into operation when he raised Christ from the dead physically is the same exact power that he put into operation that raised us from the dead in Christ. The same exact power. Are you hearing that? I I want you to think with me for just a second about the incredible power that was unleashed when God the Father, by his Spirit, reached down into that tomb on the first day of the week and, bam, raised Christ from the dead. Do you realize that that was absolutely the most incredible power in the universe, the only one that has the power to raise the dead is our God, the God of the Bible. Listen And that, my friend, is the same incredible power in all of its fullness that God unleashed when he reached down into the tomb of our life when we were calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What happened is we were raised from the dead by the same power that God put into operation when he raised Christ from the dead. And listen, y'all, that power resides in every single one of us that name his name tonight. Do you hear that, y'all? The power of the resurrection has taken up residence inside of us. That's what Paul's talking about. (laughs) When he comes to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, and he says, Okay, if ye then be risen with Christ. (laughs) Wow. Do you understand what he's saying? The power that raised us from the dead and to new life now resides in us and that power has destined us for a whole new type of existence while we walk down here on the earth. Listen, 
We have been empowered by His Spirit to passionately seek the things that are in a whole new spiritual dimension. That is what salvation is, y'all. And I got to tell you, man, it's hard to fathom that the power that raised Christ from the dead could be in us and not be powerful enough to raise us out of our carnality and worldliness. You mean to tell me that the resurrection power of the God of the universe that lives in us can't lift us out of this system that almost sent every single last one of us to hell. And we were raised out of that. But now listen, that's only half of what it means to be risen with Christ. Okay, there, There's a whole other half that we need to, to talk about. Okay, and we grab this. Okay, so we've just seen from Colossians chapter 2 what it means to be risen with Christ. Now I want to show you what it looks like from Ephesians chapter 2. And, and, and listen, if you're going to really understand Colossians or if you're really going to understand Ephesians, one of the things that you, you do need to get in, in your understanding is that the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians are often referred to as twin epistles, okay? And, and what, that, what that means is that if you, if you look at Ephesians and you look at Colossians, what you begin to see is that they basically follow the, the same track. In other words, they, they cover the same basic subject matter, and yet, because God is the one who inspired the writing of both of these, that when he was inspiring it, he did it in such a way that the, the two books cover the material from different enough standpoints so that the two letters actually complement each other. Again, so when you take the content of, of the book of Ephesians and you lay that next to the, the content of the book of uh, Colossians, what you begin to see is that they, they dovetail together to form a, a, a perfect, beautiful, harmonious oneness that when we study these two books together can provide incredible insight and clarity and understanding to both of the books. But listen, especially when it comes to this thing of us being risen with Christ. Okay, so we, we just looked at what it meant from Colossians chapter 2 for us to be risen with Christ. Okay, now, now watch what he shows us here of what it is to be risen with Christ from the book of Ephesians. And, and where he shows us this is in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, where Paul says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, here it is, hath quickened us together with Christ. 
everything that we were just talking about. By grace are you saved. Watch this now. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, now, now watch how Colossians 2 and Ephesians 2 dovetail together. Okay, in, in Colossians 2 and verse 12, Paul said that the power that raised Christ from the dead, that same exact power, raised us up out of our spiritual death. But, but in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, Paul lets us know that when God actually exercised that power, that power also raised us up spiritually into the very throne room of God so that every one of us in this room tonight that are born again are right now. We're not going to go to heaven when we croak, y'all. We're already there. We are right now, present tense, seated with Christ in heavenly places. Now, if you understand that, please tell me. <laughs> because it is the craziest thing in the world to me that all of us right now are seated here in the student union at the University of Central Missouri in Warrensburg, Missouri. <laughs> and at the very same time that we are seated in this room physically, right now, we are seated with him in heavenly, in heavenly places. Are, are you kidding me? And, and so watch this now. If we're really going to understand Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 when he talks about the fact that we're risen with Christ, we've got to understand it not only from the perspective of us being risen, Colossians 2.12, we've got to understand it that we've been raised, risen, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 6. He's done two things, y'all. He, he's raised us from the dead spiritually. He's raised us to sit with him in heavenly places. And what God's trying to get us to see in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 is that if those two things have become a reality in your life, if you've been raised from the dead spiritually and if you have been raised to sit with Christ in heavenly places, what he says here is, okay, this is what your life is to be now. This is what it ought to look like. And, and, and what he does with this monumental declaration in the first seven words, if you then be risen with Christ, is he then from there, he goes on in verses 1 through 17, and he wraps this whole passage, and dare I say, wraps the whole Christian life around seven key verbs. Okay, I, this isn't going to be English class, but over the next few minutes tonight and going into the, the other sessions, what we're going to do is we're going to look at these seven key verbs that he tells us. This is what life is to be, 
And, and what we're going to see through these seven key verbs is that he gives to us five key admonitions that show us how to walk on earth like somebody who's seated with Christ in heavenly places. And in my estimation, y'all, these five key admonitions that we're going to glean from this passage are so integral to living the life that God has called us to live. In my estimation, they behoove us to talk to God about them on a daily basis. At the beginning, I was talking to you about how God rocked my world with this 25 years ago. I'm not trying to play you know, the spiritual card to you at all right now. But I will tell you this. For the last 25 years, what I'm suggesting that this passage does in t telling us what we need to be talking to God about on a daily basis, I, I can tell you this. I have sought to do this every single day of my life for the last 25 years. It was, it was that significant. It was that impactful. And man, I'm, I'm praying that, that God will open our eyes to see what's here so that we, we really comprehend that. Now, I, and if it sounds like I'm trying to pit one passage against another, you know, and say, this is more important than that. Hey, I, I, I really do get it. It's all the word of God, man. And it's all important. It's just that not every passage has the lead-in that this one has, where God says, okay, now that you're saved, here's what I want you to be. And he just very practically says, okay, this is what it looks like. And so I, I want to challenge you, first of all, to talk to God daily about the pursuits and purposes of life. <laughs> because that's what he's really talking about in verses 1 through 4. The pursuits and purposes of life. And the first key verb that he shows us here is, first of all, seek. And what he tells us is, seek the things above. And the next key verb is the word set. Set your affection on things above. Listen. And not on things of the earth. See, I, this is what I was talking to you about. This is what I had to preach coming back from India. And I began to read it through the way our brothers and sisters over there would, would read this. And, and, and notice that, that he says in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Okay, here it comes now. If you then be risen with Christ, here's our first key verb, seek... Those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. I wonder why he threw that in there. 
set your affection on things above. Watch this now. Not on things of the earth. And in light of everything that we've seen tonight already from the context, listen, what Paul is saying in Colossians 3, 1 and 2 is, is listen. Now that God has raised you up spiritually out of your sin and death and that whole system of evil that almost damned your soul to hell, don't go back into the world system and seek the things that are in it. Seek the things in that spiritual realm where Christ has seated you with him. Live in this reality. Yeah, you got to walk on this earth. But do it. From the standpoint of somebody that has been raised from the dead spiritually and raised to sit with Christ in heavenly places. And do you understand what an indictment this is upon 21st century Christianity? Especially in our country. And I don't want to get us all on a guilt trip because we were born in America. But I also want us to understand most certainly that though we may have been born in America, we've been born again and raised out of our spiritual death and raised to sit with him in heavenly places and commanded to seek the things there, not the things on earth. But somehow it is in our American brand of Christianity, we think we can do both. We think that we can seek the things on earth and have our affection on them. And at the same time, be seeking the God of the universe. We think we can love God and be passionate for him while we love the things on earth and are passionate about those things. Anybody see any gray in here? Seek this. Don't seek that. <laughs> and in our Laodicean Christianity, <laughs> neither hot nor cold, we've found this cozy little spot that you just can't seem to find in the Bible. And, and do you realize that anywhere you slice the Bible in our New Testament, it's going to tell you exactly that? We're going to be cool to be able to cross-reference the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel written to the Jew. 
where Jesus talks about the same thing that Paul talked about in Colossians 3, 1 and 2? I, th I think there may be an application for us. Hello? If you remember what he said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, no man, hey, who can do this? No man. No man can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot seek the things above at the same time that you're seeking the things on earth. And, and I know that this is real simple, but let me just emphasize something here. You cannot serve God and mammon. I, hey, what, what terminology do you think that he could have used to be any stronger or any clearer than that? And I want you to notice that he doesn't say here that trying to live in two worlds, live where I'm seated, live down here and have my affection on so-called both of those. Notice that what he says here is that trying to live in two worlds in terms of the things that we're passionate about, he doesn't say, yeah, I'll tell you, that's just a real hard thing to do. <laughs> and, and he doesn't say, man, yeah, that's just a hard balance to find. You've got to find it. And what he says is, you ain't going to find it. You cannot. It is an impossibility. And, and again, it's not like Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24 and Colossians 3, 1 and 2 are the only place that he said this. And, and, and I know we're just getting started. But, and I don't want to sound like a negative idiot. I don't want to sound legalistic. But I do think, y'all, that we need to face the odd and very unbiblical brand of Christianity that is telling us that we can do these two things. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, he says... And again, it's just, I understand. This is the gospel written to the Jews. Okay, I went to that class too. <laughs> he's talking about the same thing that he's Paul's talking about in in Colossians three one and two. Right? Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, the things on earth. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But Lay up for yourselves treasures above in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. Could he be any clearer than that, y'all? Don't lay up treasures on earth. <laughs> lay up treasures in heaven. And he contrasts 
don't do this, do this. And, and listen, y'all, it's not like we can even play the dumb card and go, what forever, what does he mean when, when he's talking about the treasures on earth or the, the, the things on earth? What could he possibly mean? Okay, what, what he means is things that moths can eat. Anybody know what moths eat? Our clothes. Any, anybody know what rust corrupts? Any, anybody know what thieves break through? What? Our houses, but we got to alliterate it. Cribs, okay? <laughs> Clothes, cars, cribs. Okay. You know, those, those, that, those, that, that thing that the thieves break through and steal all of the other things on earth. Hey, do, do, you, do you really think, do, do we need to spend any more time on that or do we get it? I, I think it's pretty clear. Okay, and how about 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16? Oh, Pastor Mark, do you know the tribulation context of the book of 1 John? Yeah, what about it? Because <laughs> John's saying the same thing that Paul said in Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Perfect cross-reference, right? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, the things on earth Paul's talking about. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And again, it, it, he speaks with great strength and clarity. And yes, I, I, get, I, I do get the Jewish application of this. And, I, and I, I really do understand, listen, that we do have, as Christians, because we're in Christ... We do have the ability to have the love of the Father in us and love the things on earth. But you will never convince me that we can love the things in this world and have love for the Father in us. What he's trying to get us to see is the things down here in this earthly, worldly system are diametrically opposed to everything that Christ is and everything that Christ wants for us. And that's why Colossians 3, 1 and 2 tell, tell us not to make this world and the things that are in it. Don't, don't make that your pursuit. Don't make that what you seek. Don't make that where you put your affection. We, we tend to look at all of that and say, well, you know, Pastor Mark, I, I, don't, I don't think I love the things of the world. I, I might like them. 
you know, I, I, maybe you could say, you know, I'm friends with them. You know where I'm going? J James chapter 4 and verse 4, where he, James is talking about the same thing Paul's talking about in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And he says, don't you get it, the friendship with the world? It's just diametrically opposed to everything that God is. And I, I, again, I get it because we're in Christ. Yes, we can't be enemies of, of God, but I can just tell you this. When, uh, fellas, I don't know how this worked for you, but when I got engaged to who was going to become my wife, she, she's here somewhere, Sherry, hi. Uh, <laughs> but when I was in, in, engaged with her, do you know how it would have affected me if I would have found out that she was going to dinner and cozying up with an old boyfriend? You know what I'm talking about, fellas? You know how that would have affected me? And, and if she would have come to me and said, I don't, hey, I don't know what you're so upset about. We're just friends. I still love you. Aw. You know what I would have said? Whatever. Listen, if you're going to get connected with me, man, disconnect from all your old boyfriends. And, and, and listen, do you, do you realize that we're part of the bride of Christ? In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and, and verse 2, he says that we have been espoused to Christ as our one husband. Listen, right now, we're in the espousal or the engagement period with Christ. And you know what we're awaiting? We're awaiting the consummation of the marriage where he takes us to the Father's house. And what he tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and and verse 2 is, is when Christ comes, that Christ wants us to be presented to him and walk up through the earth's atmosphere at the rapture and be presented as a chaste virgin. The way that Paul talked about it in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 27. You don't have that, that verse up there. But that we might be presented to him a glorious church. Not having spot or blemish or any such thing. And, and again, man, I, I, I hope that you, you get. I, I'm, not, I'm not at all advocating that we all, you know, get ourselves on a guilt trip. I... I, I, I I get Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. I, I'm not trying to put you under a yoke of bondage, but I do want us all to recognize that the way Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 lays this out, as does every cross-reference that we can pick up in our New Testament, is that the life that God has called us to live right now is very black and white. 
And we're either seeking the things above and setting our affection on things above or we're seeking the things on earth. And our affections are on the things of this earth. But I want you to notice in Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 that the issue here is most definitely things. Seek the things above and set your affection on things above. Not on things <laughs> on the earth. And, and again, regardless of what 21st century Christianity in America tells us or is accepted as, as the norm or thinks is biblical Christianity, the fact is we're not doing both. And, and I want us to talk for just a second about the, these two, two key verbs. First of all, th this verb that he talks about, seek. Okay, the, the, the word seek carries the idea of what we're focused on or what we're in pursuit of. As we've already talked about, he clearly tells us to seek, to live our lives focused on and in pursuit of the things above. Now, we know what the things on earth are, right? We're going to talk about that. Closed cars and cribs. <laughs> Do you know what the things above are? Most people don't. Tomorrow night... What we're going to do, and, and I'm like, I'm, I've got a few more minutes, so don't, don't think, oh, tomorrow night, okay, he's done. <laughs> tomorrow night, we're going to talk about what the things above actually are. Because I can guarantee you this, y'all, if we don't know what they are, we ain't ever going to hit them. And, and if the word seek means that we get focused on and get pers pursuing those things, we, we better know what they are. But, but again, just as clearly, he tells us that we are not to be focused on and in pursuit of the things on earth. Okay, now let's talk real quickly about the word set. Okay, and it may help you to get your, your mind wrapped around what he's talking about when he talks about set, to know that this, this same word set is translated in our King James Bible as mind, a good portion of the time. But, but listen, it's more than our mind, or the King James translators would have translated it mind. It also includes the heart. And, and maybe we could, we could say it this way. It has to do with what we think about, but it also has to do with what we care about. And what he's telling us is, Seek, get focused on, and get pursuing the things above and set your mind and your heart on those things. Why? 
Would you look at Colossians 3, verses 3 and 4, the next two verses? You know why we're to do this now that we're saved? Because we're dead, y'all. Notice, present tense, for ye, all of y'all, are dead. And your life, hey, wait, I just, I thought you told us we were dead. Which is it? Are we dead or are we alive? And what's the one word biblical answer to that? Yes. yes. <laughs> but now listen, don't miss it. We're definitely dead. And the glorious reality is, y'all, we don't have a life anymore. Our life where he, the Spirit of God placed us when we called upon his name. We're dead. And our life is hid with Christ in God. Man, we're deep in there. And, and watch verse 4 now. When Christ, who is... What, what's the next two words? When Christ who is our life shall appear. Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. But our, because our life is hid with Christ, when he appears at the rapture, you know what's going to happen? We are going to appear with him in glory. In other words, we're going to get a glorified body. But listen, if you want to know why it is that we struggle in our Christian life, we can't seem to get victory over the flesh. And we can't stop seeking the things on earth. It's because we think we still have a life. Okay. I don't want you to pack up. That, that's as far as we're going to go tonight. But I do want to just conclude with this. There's, there's five different kinds of people in this room tonight. The, the first group of people are people that Jesus has no place in your life. And what I mean by that is you've never been risen with Christ. And so your, your life is yours. And so you've got your family, and you've got your job and your career or your school. You've got your friends. You've got your finances. There's just no place for Jesus. And listen, if that's where you are, some of you are here, and that's your condition tonight. You've never come to the place where you called upon the name of the Lord to save you in the Spirit of God did that miraculous work that totally transformed your life. Uh, man, what I hope is by the time you get back in your ride on Saturday, man, I, I hope and pray that the risen life of the Lord Jesus Christ is alive in you. There's another group of people in this room tonight, and Jesus has a place in your life. And yep, 
you got your family and you got your job and your career and you got your friends and you got your finances and you got your hobbies and hallelujah to you. You called on the name of Jesus to save us, to save you. He has a place. Some of you are in this next category where Jesus has a prominent place in your life. And yeah, you've got your hobbies and you've got your finances and you've got your friends and you've got your job and your career and you've got your family. But Jesus is first. He's over here. And so he... He has a prominent place. And if some of us are going to be honest, that's where Jesus is tonight. Prominent place. But listen, there's some of y'all, and he has a preeminent place. And now, listen, Jesus is above your family, your friends, your finances, your job, your career, your hobbies. And lo and behold, y'all, because he's above, he's also touching every single one of those areas of your life. Hallelujah to you. You say, well, I thought you said there were five. <laughs> Would you notice with each one of these a place A prominent place in my life. A preeminent place in my life. And I want you to know tonight that Jesus did not die, be buried, and rise again. And the Spirit of God, when he was placing you into his death and his burial and resurrection, he wasn't doing that. So you could have a place, he could have a place in your life, or a prominent place in your life, or a preeminent place in your life. He wants to be our life. And there's a fifth group of people that may be in this room that could actually say, Jesus is my life so that it might look like this we only got one box it's the Jesus box <laughs> and family and friends finances job, career it's all his it ain't mine I'm not gonna give him this place I'm dead Is his. Okay, now listen. The, the goal over the next two nights is not just to move you down a rung.
There's only one wrong that is biblical Christianity. What I'm hoping and praying God will do is we're all going to leave here Saturday and not have a life anymore. But our life is Christ. I'm not sure how we're going to put a bow on this tonight. Is there going to be a song? Or? 